Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Well, uh, in the 9th century B.C., Hezekiah writes these words, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be cast into the heart of the sea. A little further down in the Psalms, he says, be still and know that I am God. And so if I were to just summarize today as we think about what it means uh, to practice mindfulness, to have a commitment to mindfulness, I I don't think it's a new thought. I think Hezekiah was uh, speaking about it a long time ago. Be still and with all of its implications, know that I am God. Quiet your mind, focus your thoughts, center what is happening to you in such a way that you consider again that God is God and that we are created and he is creator and I don't know about you but it seems to me that uh, our thoughts are untrained we just saw that little financial piece uh, video thing you know I don't know one of the things that struck me when I did that years ago is uh, one of the very first things Dave Ramsey says is your money is wild if you don't train it it will run away (laughs) that's true isn't it That's true of your thoughts, too, isn't it? Your thoughts are wild, and if you don't train them, they will run away. We kicked off our Advent season talking about frozen thoughts, and I made this observation. Wouldn't it be nice if your thoughts actually froze like they just froze and stuck and they didn't move around much? But that's not what happens to frozen thoughts. Frozen thoughts run in herds. (laughs) They, they, They create a track in our brains, and the only thing that's frozen is the path they travel. It's not like they slow down, they race around, but they just follow this little track in our brains and they repeat themselves over and over and over and over. And I, I would guess that for most of us, as we think about this whole process of spiritual discipline and we ask this question, how is your doing? On purpose, it's not a misprint. It's an awkward question, but it's an awkward question on purpose. Not how are you doing, which would cause us to respond with the condition of our emotions are the nature of our thoughts. How are you doing? I don't feel that well. My thoughts are, I'm anxious. I'm thinking about this. I have this coming up. This is what's happening to me. Yes, all true. But how is your doing? What are the practices that are taking place in the face of that? We're being formed by all of that. We're being formed by everything that's happening to us. But in what place do we say, God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains be cast in the heart of the sea. I'm finding a place in which I am still and recognizing that God is God. I am reordering those thoughts. I shared with you a couple of quotes uh, a few weeks ago when we started Advent. The soul becomes dyed with the color of its thoughts. Marcus Aurelius. Our life expresses the result of our dominant thoughts, Soren Kierkegaard. Everybody doing okay, by the way? So with those things in mind, I, I want you to listen to, again, Romans 
12, we'll just read the first three verses. Therefore, I urge you, brother and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So, so we're invited by Paul into this place of transformation and renewal. Be renewed by, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and, and all of this in a context, in view of God's mercy, by the grace given. It's context of mercy and grace. But he pushes us forward then and says that we are invited into a place to be thoughtful, to consider our thoughts. Barclay on this passage talks about the two words in the Greek language for new. One is neos, which means new in form. So if you bought a new car, it would be neos. It would be a new car. It would be something that was just made. But that's not the word here. The word here is kainos. And that word means new in character. Be transformed. Be changed in the nature of your inner being is what he's saying in the passage here, what he's pushing us to. So we're invited to renew our minds and to really move into a place in which we think differently. How often do you think about what you're thinking? I don't want to move too fast there. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but, but my thoughts are my thoughts. And they seem to define and tell me things about what's going on. And, and I know that, you know, and we've talked about this in this context multiple times, but I know we're neoplatonists. So I know that we tend to think of ourselves as divided up into sections. We, we're heart, soul, mind, body, spirit. You know, Plato had just three, but we've expanded. That's why we're the neoplatonists. We have many more compartments in which we consider our being to exist. Uh, and, and you may not spend a lot of time thinking about that, but I bet you do talk about your feelings and your thoughts as two separate things <laughs> you know so somewhere in there we when someone says how are you doing we had we tend to answer from one or the other you know well this is what I'm thinking <laughs> or this is how I'm feeling but really aren't those all just sort of pressed somehow together aren't they really interrelated in some intimate way it's not like my thoughts are happening separately from my emotions and my emotions are happening separately from my thoughts the truth of the matter is they're all being tossed around inside me in such a way that unless I really stop and I think about it, think about what I'm thinking, then I'm just sort of on the receiving end of everything my mind and my emotions are producing for me. And that really leads us to the front steps of mindfulness. Our thoughts are not happening to us. Our thoughts are us. We have some say in what happens up there in our brains. We, we have some responsibility to be managers of what's going on, both in our emotions and in our heads. But that only happens because of practices. 
because we learn to practice differently, because we ask ourselves this question, how is my doing? Most of us are utilitarian. Our doing, how is our doing, is about what we need to accomplish right now. Some of you, you come early because you, you have many things you want to accomplish today. So you get here early, so you have the whole day in front of you to get a lot of things taken care of. Maybe resting is the thing you're going to do today. That would be fitting. It's supposed to be Sabbath. It would be nice. But we are interacting with these thoughts and what they mean. So in this context, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. We know that we're, we're talking about all of this in a context of God's grace and His mercy. So, so let me just make sure you understand here at the beginning that, that I want to be clear. We're not working on our renewal by the power of our thoughts. All right. that was. We're not working on our renewal by the power of our thoughts. God promises by his grace and his mercy to grant us newness, a newness of character by the act of his grace. What we're talking about is in the context of that transformation, now can we surrender our thoughts back to God? God does work in us by the act of His grace and His mercy. And He says, you are new in character. What will you do with this brand new, new in character reality that I have bestowed upon you by the gift of my grace? How will you manage this? And for some of us, we might go through periods of renewal and then we go right back into the old ways of thinking. And it doesn't take very long for the old patterns of thinking to drag us back into the old patterns of practice and living. So we receive this renewal in the grace of God. We're not being renewed by our thoughts. We're being responsible to God in the ways that we think. Barclay, in writing about the passage, again says these words. First of all, this urges us to know ourselves. One of the first basic commandments of the Greek wise person was to know yourself. We don't get very far in this world until we know what we can and what we cannot do. An honest assessment of our own capabilities without conceit or false modesty is one of the most essential and useful things we can do in our lives. Do we know ourselves? Do you know yourselves? Second, this self-reflection urges us to accept ourselves and to use the gifts that God has given us. We are too often looking at the gifts of others and wishing that our situations looked more like theirs instead of celebrating who God has created us to be and using every gift God has given us to the fullest extent that he has offered it to us. How is your doing and what are you thinking about? So this act of surrendering our minds and allowing God back into the center of our thinking as a piece of our spiritual formation is something that is old. It's something that we've been thinking about for a long, long time in the history of the church. When's the last time that you sit down and said a simple prayer with intentionality, God, help me to find, take back, and keep my right mind. Help me to find, take back, and keep my right mind. The one you created me to have. The one that wasn't messed up. And, and we could spend a tremendous amount of time about this. I, I, I don't have time to go into all the data that's being produced today. But, but just let me at least mention it to you. 
our brains are being challenged in a way that is unprecedented in human history. What has happened to us with the, with the information overload that is coming at us, with the, the simple iPhone that you carry, or, you know, if you're a, a rebel to the, to the, you know, revolution, you know, uh, you, you got a different phone, but, you know. They're all electronic, and they're all tablets, and, and, and the, the glut of information that's coming at us is reprogramming our brains. It's a gigantic concern. Scientifically, psychologically, the way children are coming up, it's a big deal. And you and I, our attention span, as the load of information that's coming at us and the amount of input that's pouring into us is, is, is inundating us, our attention spans are shrinking. You know, there used to be a rhythm to life. And, and that has drastically changed in the last 200 years. Do you realize that there was a time that when the sun went down... It was relatively dark, and people went to bed. Did you know that the average human being used to sleep 10 hours a night? I really found this to be really helpful to me. Because, you know, you read about the old spiritual masters that got up at 4 in the morning. They had already had... Eight hours of sleep at four in the morning. They were bored out of their heads at that moment. <laughs> the average human on the planet today sleeps about seven hours. Listen, that is a dramatic difference in a couple of hundred years. And so something's happening in our brains, and it's not good. It's not welcome. The science is telling us... Hey, people aren't functioning as well as they used to. A lot of things are going on. There's a lot of ailments that go on in the human body because of a lack of be still. And in our spiritual realm, and know that I am God. I was reading an article the other day that was produced by the Mayo Clinic. And uh, now the Mayo Clinic is just not advocating for anything spiritual. We all know that, right? It's, it's a medical institution. <laughs> but listen to their findings along this topic, mindfulness. Mindfulness is a type of meditation in which you focus on being intensely aware of what you're sensing and feeling in the moment without interpretation or judgment. Practicing mindfulness involves breathing methods, guided imagery, and other practices to relax the body and mind, and help reduce stress. Now, listen, I, I don't know about you, but when I get into this issue of mindfulness and meditation and blah, 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 my brain starts to sort of freeze over in some ways. But if I stop for a minute and I go back to Hezekiah, which is why we started there, and I understand Hezekiah writing in the face of incredible crisis, the assault of the Assyrians on the city of Jerusalem, he wants to be specific. And I hear him say, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way, though the mountains are cast in the heart of the sea. And he comes to this moment, be still and know that I am God. Then I start to ask myself this question, how often do I stop long enough to think my thoughts, to think what I am thinking, to think about what I am thinking? And to consider without judgment, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's going on inside of me right now. 
Is that good? Is that in keeping with who God has desired, has created me to be? He has uh, uh, invited me into a place of new character. Am I living out this new character in this place where I actually live in my thoughts and emotions? If not, then, then my spirituality is sort of a thing I visit. It's a compartment that I come to instead of inviting God to integrate that into who I am, into how I'm made. Mayo Clinic, spending too much time planning, problem solving, daydreaming, our thinking negative or random thoughts is draining. It can also make you more likely to experience stress, anxiety, and symptoms of depression. You understand who's saying this? <laughs> Mindfulness exercises can help you direct your attention away from this kind of thinking and engage you with the world around you. Meditation has been studied in many clinical trials. This overall evidence supports the effectiveness of meditation for various conditions, including stress, anxiety, pain, depression, insomnia, high blood pressure. Preliminary research indicates that meditation can also help people with asthma and fibromyalgia. Meditation can help you experience thoughts and emotions with greater balance and acceptance. Meditation is also known to, show, to, known to be shown to improve attention, decrease job burnout, improve sleep, uh, improve diabetes control. Now, in the olden days, we called it prayer. <laughs> we didn't call it meditation. We called it communing with God. We called it being still and knowing that He is God. And we only bring the psychological piece of it into this conversation because here's something that's really important. The sciences are catching up with what you and I were taught in Sunday school as being the commissioning of God in our lives. The science is catching up. They're finally starting to say, you know what, it might be really important for you to sit down and think about the whole perspective of the world. It might be really important for you to sit down and be still. They would never say, sit down, be still, and know that He is God. But we would say that, wouldn't we? And while the science is saying, sit down and be still. I don't know about you, but when I get still, I don't always like what's going on. I need this other part. I don't need to just be still and be aware. I need to be still, be aware, and move towards God. Move towards the truth. Let Him take back and help me find my righteous right mind. Because mine gets lost in the chaos. It gets lost in the chaos. Now, I'm probably being defensive. But I'll be honest with you, I got a letter a little while back, and the letter said, I don't go to your church anymore because all you talk about is psychology. So I'm going to be a little defensive for a minute, all right? <laughs> I recognize that when we venture down these paths that, that we are, you know, we're dancing around with what's going on. And it's fascinating to me because if we were talking creation science, if I were talking to you about modern physics and, and the discoveries that are being made about intelligent design in the universe, we'd all be excited. We'd be like, whoa! Because <laughs> our teachings biblically and where the science is heading, they're starting to parallel in some ways in which at least physicists are finally saying, I don't know, I can't explain it. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot explain how the chaotic universe could be ordered in such a meticulous way. 
and we'd all be like, woo. But when we talk about inner space, suddenly we get weird. Oh, well, he's just talking about psychology. No, I'm talking about how the word, the infinite word of God was true in the ninth century B.C., and it just took us a few thousand years to catch up as human beings. That's what I'm talking about. So we all on the same page? So, so let me just offer to you the objections that get raised when we talk about mindfulness in the context of the church. Objection number one. Mindfulness directs people to be more self-focused versus God-focused. I say to every one of you, by the grace given you, do not consider yourself better than you are but think of yourself with sober judgment see I, I think Paul is speaking exactly into this in the context I'm not asking you to put yourself forward I'm asking you in the context of God's grace to be really thoughtful about who you have been created to be number two mindfulness postulates an acceptance of every thought and feeling which has been perceived as living without ownership or conviction of one's thoughts in other words mindfulness Part of the exercise of mindfulness is think about your thoughts and your feelings and be present without any judgment over your thoughts and feelings. That's just where you start. Just so you know, even the therapist will not say, and just go ahead and think whatever you're thinking. They'll move you on to step two. Here's a whole bunch of stinking thinking we need to clean up. <laughs> and that happens in the biblical piece at a much different level. Holy Spirit, convict me, change me, guide me. Number three, mindfulness is about transcending selfish desire rather than relying on God's grace mercy. Well, if you're not mindful at all, how do you know what your selfish desires are? How would you know which things to surrender to God? And finally, the, the last objection, there's no room for the Holy Spirit when we have made ourselves transcendent. Mindfulness is not about making ourselves transcendent. It's about becoming aware of what and where we need God to do work in us. It's about, on purpose, inviting the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and in our lives. I, I would just highlight two things. I think it's so important that we have this conversation. Now, for some of us older people, we grew up on this. God said it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. Amen? But we are raising a generation behind us that needs to know that the truths in God's word are valid in a modern context of a sophisticated culture. And if we don't talk about it in here, in front of our kids, if we don't equip one another to go home and say, listen, our kids need to know that what science is teaching, the Bible's been teaching for a long, long time, there is wisdom. I know it seems old-fashioned, and I know it seems antiquated, but it turns out it's not. And it's important that we have the conversation. And number two, there is deep and meaningful work that's being done, particularly by Christian therapists who are incorporating this information and synthesizing what this work of communion with God and what the social sciences are teaching to say, you know what? There is actually genuine hope for change. And there are ways that we can work and grow and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This isn't just some spiritual hocus pocus. This is actually prophetic words that mean you and I can experience deep and genuine change in our lives and in our journey. 300 years ago, John Wesley wrote these words. True meditation is no other than faith, hope, 
love, joy, melted down together, as it were, by the fire of God's Holy Spirit and offered up to God in secret. He that is holy in these will be little in worldly company in other studies and collecting books and medals and butterflies. (laughs) I love that quote. So let's think together, if you would, with me about the biblical teachings about the practice of mindfulness. Everybody with me? I want to offer you six, and they're going to go very quickly. So if you're going to write down notes, this would be a good time to get your pencil ready. Number one, a biblical mindfulness is a mindfulness of shared presence. It is a mindfulness of shared presence. We are getting back in touch with the Spirit of God that unites us together as human beings, but also collectively as a community of faith. Philippians 2.1 Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset... As Christ Jesus. That's a... I mean, we know this as the kenosis passage. That's a big deal. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has wholly exalted him, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the glory of the Father. Let this mindset be in you. Be still. And know that I'm God. It's a, it's a mindfulness of shared presence. John 17, 20, the high priestly prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I are, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved me, even as you love them, even as you have loved me. It is a mindfulness of shared presence. We're communing with the Holy Spirit. We're, we're getting in touch with the very presence of Christ. It's not just a mindfulness of our own. Number two, it's a mindfulness of restful prayer. It is a mindfulness of restful prayer. We're invited to breathe prayer. Not participate as an activity, but to live in this restful reality of being able to pray at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. Psalms 48.9, within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. I wonder how many of us, if we just simply said, I'm going to take five minutes with some great intentionality and I'm going to practice this process of breathing prayer. I'm just going to, I'm just going to focus my thoughts. 
I'm going to invite God to do something. I'm going to participate in the shared presence of the Holy Spirit, of the presence of Christ, of, of, of communing with God, of being still and knowing He's God. And in that, I'm going to pray. I'm not going to be anxious. As anxious thoughts come up, I'm going to breathe them out in prayer. Take this, God. Take this, God. I wonder what we would experience if we did even the smallest change in our practice. How we might see the day differently, our life differently, our inner world would form differently. The science tells us this stuff matters. And I would guess if we went around the room and said, how many of us are actively engaging in that way? I, on purpose, take time every day to breathe these prayers, to focus my attention in this way, to be mindful in this way. Number three, the biblical mindfulness is a mindfulness of a receptive spirit. We quiet ourselves. We open our hearts, we invite God to help us find, take back, and keep our righteous right mind. We realign, just like David did. Psalms 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I do think... The rhythm of life has changed. I read this week a, a book called, uh, it's called Something About Hurry. Let me think about it for a minute. <laughs> the relentless elimination of hurry or the something. It's not relentless, it's something. Uh, anyway, you're supposed to eliminate hurry. <laughs> and in it, he observes this reality, and that is, that people used to be way better at this than we are now. And so when we think about David writing these thoughts, he, he writes them in a very genuine way. They weren't just more spiritual than we were. They just had a different rhythm of life. And you and I are going to have to be very conscious of our doing if we are going to recapture some of the reality of how our Lives are invited to this place of peace and love and joy. Number four, it is a mindfulness of focused thinking. The biblical call to mindfulness is a mindfulness of focused thinking. We have a part to play in this process of our own thinking. We operate in a context of God's grace and His work and the power of His Holy Spirit. But we are in a process of discipleship which means God has something to do and we have something to do. So that Paul writes to us in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about <coughs> such things. I don't know about you, but if I just, again, I could take any one of these and say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to put this guard at my, at the gate of my thoughts. Is it praiseworthy? Is it excellent? Is it true? Is it noble? Is it good? If I just put this one thing, how, my brain would get empty really quick. <laughs> Amen? We're invited into this place. Number five, it is a mindfulness of surrendered worries. The biblical mindfulness is a mindfulness of surrendered worries. We can practice surrendering our worries on purpose. 
regularly. Teaching our minds to be aware of our thinking and teaching our minds to be aware that our thinking is being hijacked. We are not the victim of our thoughts. We are invited to be the people who say, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not think equality with God something to be grasped. Do we get those words? Because I don't know about you, but I'm running the world from my brain. I even have the audacity to explain to God the things he could do better. Anybody else? Because I see circumstances in the world, and I'm like, I, I would have done that, God. I would have done this instead. And I am symptomatically involved. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but instead emptied himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Ooh, that's a struggle, isn't it? To, to admit that I am not only not the master of the universe, I'm not the master of my domain. I'm not even the master of my own body or my own mind. And I'll need to create space in which I invite God to be the master of the universe and of my domain and of my mind. Because when I try to run even the smallest part of my domain by myself, it doesn't go well. I'll be 60 years old this year. I don't know what I thought. I don't know. Yeah, you were all like, what, am, what are we supposed to do with that information? <laughs> There's more coming. I'm forming my thoughts as I talk. I, I don't know that I had a coherent thought for a long time. Anybody else? I mean, I don't remember. Well, how old were you before you had your first coherent thought? Five? Seven? Ten? I don't know. Up until that time, I'm like, woohoo! <laughs> But I can tell you for whatever, if, let's be generous, it was 10. So I can tell you for 50 years I've been trying to run the world and it hasn't gone well. And if most of us were just honest, we'd say, okay, I don't know what the sampling is, but I could say 10 years, I could say 20, I could say 30. 30 years I've been running the world. I've been running my own domain. It hasn't gone well. Why is it so hard for me to admit, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became obedient. You know what? That's a good idea. I might ought to try that. This might be a really good place to let God into this space where I surrender my worries to him instead of trying to manage them all by myself. Matthew 6, 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as there. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and you are robbing yourself of the presence of life. 
by the presence of life. By the presence of life. When's the last time you were fully present in a moment? Where your mind was not off somewhere else doing something else while you were doing this. Because I'm pretty sure when it comes time for us to breathe our last breaths, we're not going to look back and go, you know what I should have done? I should have worried a lot more. Because <laughs> that was making a difference. We're going to look back and go, I wish I'd have stopped. I wish I'd have told this brain to stop taking me away from things that matter. I, I wish this brain would let me be fully present with my family, with my friends. I wish I didn't spend so much time trying to take care of business. Oh, I don't have time to go to dinner. Oh, I don't have to do that. Oh, I don't have time to make that phone call. Oh, I don't have time to write a letter, email, message, whatever it is. God knows if some of us put a pen to paper, we would fall apart. Amen? By the way, we're going to do a sermon on gratitude in this series. And I'm going to bring a man up here, and he's going to talk to you, and he's going to tell his story. And this is his story. He decided in the face of gratitude to just write thank you notes to people, and it transformed his life. He's going to tell you a story. That's a little preview. <laughs> When's the last time you were fully present? Don't be worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Why don't you be fully present today? Why don't you go out of this place today and practice a different kind of mindfulness? Number six, the biblical mindfulness is a mindfulness of responsible thoughts. My thoughts might just happen, but I am instructed to be the gatekeeper of my thoughts. I, I think of it this way. In this zoo, there are a lot of crazy animals. And most of them are wild. And some of them are destructive. Some of them are dangerous. Anybody else see the illustration? Some are cute. Quaint. But God has very specifically said, yeah, it's a zoo up there. And you are the zookeeper. And it is your job. It is your responsibility. It is a call to the practice of the spiritual journey to order the animals in the zoo. They're not just supposed to run amok. It's not Lion Country Safari up there. You know. So that... As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says these words, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself, up against the, sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. <laughs> I got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of work to do. In your worship folder, there's a page of practices. They're going to appear every week. So that you're invited to just take that with you, put it somewhere. 
We're, we're not asking you to just go figure this out. We're, we're experimenting together as a congregation. Take that piece of paper with you. Practice this week mindfulness. It invites you to do something on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. It'll take you through just, and, and if, the, you know, if somewhere in there you hear words or you go, I don't know what this is talking about, just breathe a prayer, help me to understand. I just, you know, uh, oh, this is too weird for me. Okay, stop, do something else. It's just an invitation to begin some practices that will be different in your life. The definition of insanity is doing the same things and expecting different results. How is your doing? I want to close with these words. I read them to you last week, but I think they really matter. They're from Richard Foster. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Perhaps somewhere in the subterranean chambers of your life, you have heard the call to deeper, fuller living. You have become weary of frothy experiences and shallow teaching. Every now and then you've caught glimpses, hints of something more that you have known. Inwardly, you long to launch out into the deep. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that He can transform us. The inner righteousness we seek is not something that's poured on our heads. God has ordained the disciplines of the spiritual life as the means by which we place ourselves where He can bless us. In this regard, it would be proper to speak of the path of disciplined grace. It is grace because it is free. It is disciplined because there is something for us to do. How is your doing? God, would you help us as we close this service, as we think about the implications that you have invited us to a biblical kind of mindfulness to order our thinking around the things you have taught, to order our thinking around this invitation To recognize again that you are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. But if we're going to experience the reality of that, we must be still. And know that you are God. In these closing moments, as our prayer counselors move to their places... Maybe there's somebody in this room that really needs to pray with someone. Look around, see where they are. In a moment, we'll sing, be still. And we'll respond to the word. These are precious, precious moments where our hearts and minds and spirits are freed to experience the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Don't let it pass. Write it down. Make a note. Talk to someone. Send an email. Make a phone call. Meet a prayer counselor. Talk to a pastor. God, we're so very thankful for your word. Thankful for its truth and depth. We're asking you to lead us in these closing moments. Hear our hearts, hear our prayers. 
God, by your grace, transform us. And by the strength of your Holy Spirit, lead us into practices that allow us to follow after the mindset of Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.